We've been working through our series called To the Ends of the Earth. To the Ends of the Earth. Last week we talked about Paul's ministry in the city of Corinth. I've been showing you guys maps so you kind of get a perspective of what's going on with the move of the gospel. Because if you remember correctly, the gospel is moving from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth at this point is Rome, and so Paul in his focus, he's ministering to these churches, he's planting the gospel seeds in places, but he also has, has an end focus. I want to get the gospel message to Rome, because that's the ends of the earth. So Paul was ministering in the city of Corinth here, in the area of Achaia. He traveled from Athens to Corinth. And this is kind of the end of his second missionary journey. He stops in Corinth and then he's traveling back down here to Jerusalem. He makes a quick stop in Ephesus. We'll call this like a layover, basically. But he does kind of begin to plant a church there in the city of Ephesus. And they want him to remain, but he says, I can't stay right now. And so he leaves rather quickly. And I, I, I don't know the circumstances there, but I think of layovers we have today when you're at an airport. If you have a long layover, he was going to make use of that time. And so they traveled from Corinth to Ephesus. That was the ship he got on. They got to Ephesus. The ship was there. It was offloading probably products and because they never just had passenger ships. They were hauling things and passengers then would get on. And so they were probably offloading their products and goods at the city of Ephesus. And as they were doing that, Paul had some time before the next ship was spent to leave. So what better to do with his time than to go plant the gospel? And so that's what he did there for a short time in Ephesus before he, he made the long journey down to Caesarea here, Jerusalem, and then went up to Antioch and stopped there for a while. We're told, in just to kind of catch us up, of a man named Apollos. Chapter 18, verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. This is after Paul had already been there. He had left... Um, Aquila and Priscilla there in Ephesus to minister to this new church. But Apollos comes and Apollos begins trying to, to convert Jewish people. But they realize that Apollos is preaching the message of John the Baptist, not the message of Jesus Christ. And so it, it tells us in verse 26... He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They told Apollos about Jesus Christ. He accepted Christ, and then we hear of him traveling to Corinth and ministering there as well. And you know in the book of Corinthians, I've used a verse before that Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered. This is what that is talking about. The ministry of Paul and Apollos kind of telling the Jewish people more about Jesus Christ. It even says in verse 28, 
of chapter 18, for he, Apollos, powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Apollos knew his Old Testament. And he wanted to show who Jesus was. That kind of catches us up on our text this morning in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 20. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the name, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. There were seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva. They were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know. And Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Our setting this morning moves us into Paul's third missionary journey. He ends his second missionary, missionary journey here in the city of Antioch. It says he travels through and ministers to some of the churches that he had planted before. That was kind of Paul's pattern. He would go back and go through and he's making his way and it says he travels inland to Ephesus. Well, that makes sense because he's ministering to all these churches and rather than go from Antioch and travel by boat all the way over to Ephesus, he wants to minister to the churches, so he's making steps, and it says he comes to Ephesus again. I don't know how long he was in Antioch. It says he stopped at, at Caesarea and Jerusalem and then went up to Antioch. It doesn't tell us how long he was there. The Bible doesn't give us this, 
this picture-perfect timeline of, oh, well, then Paul went here for six weeks, and then Paul went here for three years, and then Paul was here for five months. It doesn't tell us that, but it does give us some specifics. That he was in the city of Antioch, and then after a while, he left, traveled inland, and ministered to the churches. I imagine Paul's personality was one that he just couldn't sit still. If he was done with his business in Antioch, he was like, I need to go back and see how these churches are doing. I think the Spirit of God was moving in him and empowering him to go and minister to these churches and plant new churches. Ephesus was a port city on the coast there. It, was, it hosted one of the seven wonders of the world. That's the temple to Artemis or Diana. Uh, later when Paul was in house arrest in Rome, he would write and pen the letter to the Ephesians that we have. But this is his ministry that began in chapter 18 and then he returns and begins to teach there. We're given kind of the key verse to this section. It's in verse 20. Why is Luke writing this information to us? Why is he telling us about Paul's time in Ephesus? The, the dealing with the 12 men who were baptized under John's baptism. His time in the synagogue. His, his, the, the miracles that are happening by Things like handkerchiefs just touching him and being carried away. And the, the seven sons of the Jewish high priest. Why is he telling us all of these things? Because of verse 20. This is, he sums it up. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. He's telling us this whole section because he wants us to know that God's word's continuing to spread. In this section, Luke is talking about the demonstration of God's power through the gospel, and he contrasts it with those who are believing and their lives are being transformed versus those who are not believing and their lives are not being transformed. Those who aren't being transformed, verse 9, he describes them as stubborn, continuing in unbelief, speaking evil of the way. And Paul then withdraws from them and begins ministering in another location. God's word continues to work and transform lives. Stacy's been homeschooling our girls and they get to do some fun themes every week. Last week was Apple Week. It was Apple Week and so we went to an apple orchard and the girls got to pick up the apples off the ground and, and different things. And then they went through the process of making applesauce to see what apples can do. And so they're there, they're peeling the apples, and they each got to take turns doing some of those things. And they were having fun. I kept getting texts throughout the day. Stacy would send me a text with a picture. and it just kind of made me smile. And so then they put, put it all in the slow cooker and let it cook down, and it became applesauce. Well, when I walked in that night, I smelled the transformation that had taken place. It smelled like they had been baking apple pies. That's what it smelled like. There was a transformation from the apple that we just picked up off the ground to what became applesauce. 
When we first picked up some of the apples, they weren't perfect. They maybe had a bruise on them from falling to the ground. Maybe they had a spot where, you know, a bug had taken a little bite out of it. They weren't perfect, much like people aren't perfect when we encounter God and God's word. But the apples, they were transformed. And they were transformed into applesauce. And as Christians, God continues to work and transform his people into the likeness of his son through his word. Through his word, the Bible. So how are lives being transformed? And that's what this text is telling us about this morning, how God's word continues to transform lives. So how are lives being transformed? What causes that? First, the cause is directing people to God's truth. Directing people to God's truth. It's going to be four D words this morning. So if you want to write D in each of your blanks, there's going to be a D that starts each of them. First, it was directing people to God's truth. Paul encounters these 12 men who didn't believe in Jesus Christ. They believed in John the Baptist and had been baptized in John the Baptist's baptism. And Paul senses that they're missing something. Paul senses that there's something going on. He begins witnessing to them and they believe in Jesus. They're baptized and they receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that they're miraculously given the ability to speak in other languages the message of the gospel. That, that's a reminder of Pentecost that happened in Acts chapter 2. Paul was not there for Pentecost. He didn't see what happened in Acts chapter 2. I've heard he, I, I'm sure he heard about it. He'd had other experiences, but this is like a mini Pentecost for Paul. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit indwells them, and they begin speaking in other languages and prophesying about the gospel message. Paul directs these 12 men to the truth. What is the truth? Jesus proclaims that he was the truth. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He proclaimed that we would be set free by knowing the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then in John 17, verse 17, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. In his prayer to God, we're given a large chunk of it, and that's part of one of Jesus' prayers to God. Sanctify them, the believers, the disciples in the truth. Set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. We know that the word is God's word. But we also know that the word is Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the... Everybody say it. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. That's how John starts out his gospel. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word, Jesus talking about the scriptures, but also your word, Jesus Christ himself, is the truth. The truth of the gospel. 
the truth of the gospel is that it's by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. By faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. God's word is truth and we can rely and depend on his word. <coughs> we live in a world where truth is hard to come by. I once was talking to a coworker. I worked at Kmart and I was having a conversation with a coworker once and he, he made this comment and it kind of made me chuckle. But he made this comment that if you're ever buying a vehicle, just know that the person's probably lying to you. <laughs> if you're ever buying a used vehicle, just know that they're probably lying to you. He said everybody that's selling a used vehicle isn't going to tell you everything about it. Well, that's kind of how our world is today. People have a hard time believing the things they hear. They don't know whether it's truth or whether it's a lie. But there's one reality we can stand on. We can stand on it just like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And we can stand on it because it's God's word, because God's word is true. We live in a world today where truth is manipulated and altered to meet certain objectives and goals, but we can be certain in the truths of God's word. The only way for lives to be transformed is through the truth found in God's word. The only way for lives to be transformed is through the truth found in God's word. So first, lives are transformed by directing people to God's word. The second way is by developing deeper faith. Paul spends three months going to the synagogue. He's teaching there. He's proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah that was to come, but his message is rejected. As is much common for Paul, he would go into the synagogues first, and then for some reason the Jews would be like, nope, we're done with you, Paul. It says in verse 9 that they became stubborn. The list I read to you, they continued in unbelief. They were speaking evil of the way, the way being the gospel. So he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, those who did believe, and he began reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Tyrannus is an interesting name. I don't know if it's his name or a nickname somebody gave him, but if it's translated, it means the tyrant. Now, I don't know if your parents would name you the tyrant, so it's probably a nickname, but Paul begins preaching in this school while it's not being used. Historians, looking at what's said here in the timeline, many of them say what probably happened is Paul would probably work in the morning from 6 a.m. until 11 a.m., and then he would work being a tent maker, because that was what he did. He worked with Aquila and Priscilla, remember that back in Corinth? So he was a tent maker. He would do that from 6 until around 11. At that time, it was kind of like their siesta. They would all kind of just go relax. And, and so that's when Paul would go into this school and would teach about Jesus Christ. 
And the disciples would meet there and others would come in and learn about what the gospel was. He would do that until around 4 o'clock. Again, this isn't in the scripture, but it comes from historical ideas and records. He would teach until around 4 o'clock, and at that point he would go back and finish up his tent making for the day. And he did this pattern for over two years. Paul spent two years teaching in this way. Can you imagine... I was thinking about this week. Can you imagine being a student, sitting under Paul every day for two years? What kind of conversations about the Bible would you have? What kind of questions would you ask him? Would you try to stump Paul? (laughs) Would you try to stump Paul and figure out things? I mean, just... What's in the Bible that we have already, the things he answers through writing his letters to the churches, just being with Paul for those two years helped them develop deeper faith, helped them grow in their faith. Not only those who were there, but Ephesus was a main port as we talked about, and it was, it was close in proximity to what's known as the Royal Road. It was a road put in by the Persians that traveled over 1,700 miles. And because of its location, the gospel began to spread. And it tells us in verse 10 that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks, all because of Paul's location there in preaching the gospel message. If you want to develop a deeper relationship with God, it's going to take time. That's time in prayer, time in being in God's word, time studying God's word. It takes time. It took two years of Paul being there, building into some of these disciples' lives. I have to think that Ephesus was probably a pretty strong church. of the time that he dedicated to being there. So dedicate time each day to developing deeper faith. Dedicate time each day to developing deeper faith. The third way our lives are transformed is by distinguishing between real and imitation faith. Distinguishing between real and imitation faith. It's said here that there's miracles that are happening here that aren't happening anywhere else. Literally, Paul's handkerchiefs. He's working being a tent maker, and it's hot. And he's just wiping the sweat from his brow, and maybe he throws it down. Somebody picks that up, takes it to somebody, and they're healed. Now, obviously, we know it's nothing to do with this. It's to do with God's power and their faith in what God could do. But it's just an example of something that's going on in the Ephesians church. And then there's some Jewish, Jewish exorcists who decide, well, if handkerchiefs and his aprons can do these things, we'll just start using the name of Jesus and Paul. Well, what happens to them? The evil spirit 
said, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? This is kind of comedy in the Bible. There are times it's okay to laugh about what's going on in the Bible. The man who was possessed overcame these 12 men. It says he beat them up and they ran out naked. He humiliated them because they didn't know who Jesus was. They weren't a true disciple. It's distinguishing between real and imitation faith. They were quickly discovered to be frauds. It's said, though, that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. There's a lot of imitation that happens in our house. (laughs) If Ellie does something, Naomi wants to do something. There's a lot of imitation. It's not always flattery. (laughs) Ellie doesn't always appreciate the imitation, but there's a lot of knockoffs in the world. Any of you want to go get donuts at Donkey Donuts (laughs) instead of Dunkin' Donuts? Maybe you want to break yourself a piece of that cat cop bar. Or maybe you want a Snippers. <laughs> or go to Pizza Roof. Or grab yourself some Prongles. I like this one the best. I think it tastes like butter. I think it tastes like butter. Or maybe you can wash it all down with a Mountain View. There are knockoffs and you know when you, if you were to taste these, you would be able to distinguish what the difference was. Distinguishing between real and imitation faith. Jesus warns about those who are trying to pose as Christians. He said this in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And listen, cast out demons in your name. What are the Jewish exorcists trying to do here? Just trying to use his name for their, for their own advantage. Make them look good. Maybe make them a prophet. I don't know if they got money if they were able to do that. But he said, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. Listen to what Jesus says here. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But it's about what Jesus said in the beginning. It's about the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's not just about using Jesus' name. It's not just about saying, well, I'm a Christian. When it works for who you are, works for the crowd, the setting you're in. It's about being in a relationship to him. And so the question that we have to ask is, do I have real or imitation faith? Am I in a relationship with him? Am I doing the will of the Father? Do I have real or imitation faith? Finally, lives are transformed by denouncing sinful habits. Denouncing sinful habits. As we're doing the will of the Father, the Holy Spirit's going to work in our lives and going to help us see the sin in our lives. The things that we need to confess and turn away from. 
It says here that there's a number who practice magic arts. They were doing witchcraft. They brought their books together, verse 19, and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. If you look at wages in their day and age and wages today, it's $34 million. This is no small sum of money. But they could have sold those books. No, they would have just been used for more witchcraft then. So they take this compilation, this library, basically, of books worth 50,000 pieces of silver, $34 million, and they throw a bonfire. That would have been fun to be at. There are times in history I wish we could time travel to. There are things that would just be fun. It would be fun to be, be with Jesus for three years of ministry, to sit and learn from Paul, to sit there when people's lives are being transformed and they're, they don't care about the money. Luke records it because he wants, to know, wants us to know how much, that it wasn't just a few books. It was of great monetary value, but it lost all spiritual value to them. So they were burning it in a fire. It helped them denounce their sinful habits. The truth of God's word as it works, as the Holy Spirit is leading in your life, it causes transformation in how we believe, in what we believe, and how we think, and how we act. Paul would later write this to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. Putting off your old self, the old beliefs. For them, many of them, it was witchcraft. It belongs, Paul writes, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then, on the other side of that, being renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is proclaiming that that needs to keep happening in the Ephesians church. Putting off that old self, putting on the new self, which has its foundation in, in, in righteousness and holiness, in that relationship with God. It's much like the psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 11, verse 7, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. I put this in one of my five-minute thoughts several weeks ago, but when you're doing righteous deeds, you're bringing smiles to God's face. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. God loved it when they took these books and they just said, I don't care about that. And they burned them. And it had to be an offering, a fragrant offering to God of their transformation that had taken place. 
We're, we're called to be righteous because God is righteous. The Holy Spirit works in our lives and helps us recognize sinful behavior. The Bible says that he convicts us and leads us towards repentance. God reaches down and begins to transform the lives of those who are broken, those who are bruised, those who are messed up, those who are lost like all of us. We're in those categories, just like the apples that we found in the orchard that day. He even picks up those who are liars, those who are abusers, those who are involved in drugs or caught in affairs or thieves or murderers. He begins to work and transform their lives. Think about the Apostle Paul. Back in Acts 9, what was Paul doing? holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen. It says The Bible says he was ravaging the church. Who did God choose to use? He begins, God works and begins to transform lives to become more like his son. As they're being transformed, Christians, we as Christians begin to live our lives for him rather than living our lives for ourselves. We take off our old self and we begin to put on the new self. Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 3 that that new self contains compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and love. power of the gospel leads people to recognize the truth of God's word and be transformed through the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. The truth of the gospel has the power to transform people's lives. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you that we can rely on your word, that it is true, there is no error in it. God, we can trust in the truth of your word, both the written word and the living word, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to dedicate time the truth of that word. Help us to continue to develop our faith. Help us to recognize when we're not trusting you. Help us to put off that old self that seems to fight its way back into our lives. Put on daily the new self, clothed in compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and love. God, work in our lives through your word 
transform our hearts, to transform our minds, to transform our actions. To be a mirror of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.